Welcome to yet another episode of Beyond the Present Podcast. My name is Daniel Morgan, and today we are going to be talking about the weirdest people in the world. Actually, by weird, I'm talking about, you know, the acronym WEIRD, W-E-I-R-D, meaning Western, Educated, Industrialized, Rich, and democratic. Guys, I just finished the book, The Weirdest People in the World, and I got to say the book was quite amazing. The book is written by Mr. Joseph Henrik, and uh, ironically, I found the book to be quite interesting because as someone who works in international business and uh, the international community, I kind of wanted to understand uh, more about the uh, cultural discrepancies among different nations. And for so long, honestly speaking, because I personally ascribe to a Western culture, for so long, I thought that it is the non-Westerners who are a little bit weird. That is, they're living their lives differently, they dress differently, they do not have many of the modern values. I tend to work in some of these nations myself, I travel a lot, and uh, having you know been around these people for a while, I used to think that these guys are a little bit weird. <laughs> well... It turns out it is not necessarily uh, those people who ascribe to an Eastern, to a, you know, a, a traditional way of living are necessarily the ones that are weird. Instead, it is us, the modern people who have certain, you know, Western aspirations who are indeed weird. Because, in fact, uh, if you take a look at, you know, the human history, uh, you realize that the majority of the progress we have made in various areas of life, economically, educationally, scientifically, and even politically actually occurred since the dawn of my most favorite historical period, the Renaissance. But then again, how did Renaissance come about? It really was the formation of the Western world that ultimately changed and brought about all these uh, basically enhancements and improvement to our lifestyles. So today I would like to talk a little bit about uh, this book, and what I got from it, and uh, also share a bit of you know my own opinions regarding the matter. First of all, the book was quite long. I expected the book about this to be a little bit shorter, but then again, when it comes to subjects like anthropology and cultural studies, generally this involved a lot of uh, perhaps uh, moving back and forth, and for that reason. The fact that this process usually tends to involve uh, basically uh, a lot of these uh, sensitive issues, they have to actually be covered with a lot of sugarcoating because sometimes it might actually offend people. And uh, if you want to say perhaps the Westerners are in certain cases better than the Easterners, then if someone you know who belongs to a particularly religious or traditional background might actually find these types of concepts offensive or perhaps downright reject them, which is why the book contained a lot of explanations about uh, this process. So basically, what the book mainly talked about is that our societies are subject to you know, evolution the way our bodies are. That is, every society throughout the history has had uh, undergone certain changes. And those changes ultimately were the ones that allowed them to you know, meet the demands and the challenges of that time, basically. And in this book, the author talks about how the Western world actually came about. He calls it the weird psychology. Now, what is the weird psychology? The weird psychology is a combination of psychological factors that are attributed to the early Westerners who began to transform the world since Renaissance. And eventually, uh, they, they, these people are the, were the ones who founded Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the other Western countries. And what this psychology is all about is I would like to actually mention here. 
You see, as somebody who respects all cultures, religions, and traditions, I wanted to, you know, somehow here be a bit honest and to perhaps promote this weird psychology because I do believe that in many ways, this approach to life, while clearly not traditional, it definitely is more practical in many senses. With that being said, if you are someone who believes in certain traditional values, then of course I respect your opinion as well because this is ultimately a matter of belief systems. And as we know, we have many different belief systems around the world. Now, the weird psychology or the Western psychology is predominantly distinguished from traditional, uh, basically, uh, social approaches in that Westerners are less tied to their kins and their families. One of the major themes throughout this, uh, basically, book is cousin marriage. That is, the author talks so much about communities where people are very much tied to their immediate family members. And most of their marriages do not occur outside of their immediate community, which is why you see a lot of so-called cousin marriages throughout history among societies that are more traditional and Eastern. Because generally, let's try to, you know, put these two sides together. We have, let's call it the, the Eastern approach or the more traditional approach to life. And we have a Western or more modern approach to life. Now, what are the major discrepancies among the two? Number one, it's about your attitude towards strangers. You see, modern societies such as the United States have become, you know, uh, economic leaders, not necessarily because these people have had a lot of advantages or they've been around for so long, but mainly because these societies where the perhaps a cumulative result of lots and lots of cooperation among people who did not know each other very much. So you see, in the West, if you perhaps lived in a Western country, you know that it's always easier to meet someone new, make friends, I don't know, ask ask someone out on a date immediately on the streets. These types of behavior are a lot easier in Western countries because in Western societies, people generally tend to be more trusting of strangers. The word trust is a very big factor. A modern society is a society with impersonal you know, relationships. What is an impersonal relationship? An impersonal relationship is your ability to cooperate with someone to whom you are not immediately linked to, don't fully understand basically his or her background, and don't fully know their motives, but due to you know, the overall trust in the society and you know, the general goodness of humanity, you go about and you do your best to actually make friends, build contacts, and move forward. So in this regard, what we have seen here is in the Western world, people are more trusting of strangers. And you can actually see this. If you've been to certain Western cities, I don't know which countries you've visited, basically, but let's let's just use a few capital cities as an example. Let's think of New York City. Let's think of London. uh, Let's think of uh, Toronto. Let's think of Sydney. And if you perhaps have ever been to one of these cities that I have just mentioned, you realize it's a lot easier around these cities to actually meet strangers. I personally have done that, and I can have then actually compared that with certain other cities. Let's use the more Eastern types of examples of cities, which I have personally been uh, to that uh, perhaps are not aspiring so much to a Western lifestyle. So let's think about, I don't know, uh, perhaps uh, Dubai. Let's think about Moscow. Let's think about uh, perhaps uh, Beijing. Let's think about Tokyo. So when you move towards more Eastern societies, you somehow realize that people in general are less open to talking to strangers, being around strangers. Because in general, 
in Eastern societies, people tend to not trust those who are, you know, deemed as outsiders. And this trust issue plays a very big role when it comes to uh, basically creating our approach towards life. Because when you don't trust the strangers, this is not just going to affect your dating life. It'll affect every aspect of your life. It'll affect what type of career you will pursue, in which communities would you live in, and more importantly, what values you will aspire to have. So that's the first thing that, you know, this distinguishes the Easterns from the Westerns, trust for the strangers. Now, this is also seen in right and left parties in politics. So usually, if you're not quite familiar with this, generally the parties that are called right, or they have right, basically, values, tend to be more Easterners, and those who have left values or liberal values tend to be more Westerners. So with that being said, if you think about like, you know, simple politics, you can see that uh, the right wing generally prefers to reduce immigration, for example, while the left wing prefers to increase it. Why? Because the right is more traditional and thus less trusting of new strangers that you know are going to perhaps cross the borders and bring their values in. Because most traditional societies don't like their values to be questioned or challenged by new values. And for that reason, they tend to uh, somehow not want to have a lot of foreigners in their country. On the other hand, the left wing tend to value immigration and use it as a stepping stone to you know diversity and success. For that very reason, in all societies, you realize the left is always more willing to cooperate with foreigners, they have better sense of diplomacy, and they tend to put uh, more value in trust, especially trusting the strangers. And ironically, these people, the so-called left or the Westerners, tend to value mobility. So they travel more often. They move more often. It's proven that if you, you know, as a child have grown up in a family that moved a couple of times from city to city or country to country, you automatically tend to, you know, um, somehow develop certain Western liberal values. Because that very process of moving to different places, which I have personally done, uh, both locally and internationally, uh, somehow automatically makes you more trusting of strangers. And it somehow develops the need to make new friends. I mean, if you're always moving as a kid or if you're constantly traveling, you can't rely on your best friend, I don't know, in Cincinnati. You really need to be able to make friends, whether you are in Russia, whether you are in China. Uh, if you, you know, one thing about like societies that are very different than, you know, uh, most Western societies, or if you are, let's say, I don't know, in Europe, you still need to actually be able to make friends. And that ability and openness to making friends in the environment automatically makes you more liberal. So these are the major, you know, approach towards the other. But then again, that's not the only difference between the weird people or the Westerners and the Easterners and more traditional people. The other part is about their approach towards life. You see, the liberal left-wing Western people generally tend to be more obsessed with intentions. Whereas the right-wing people, generally those who are more Easterners, they tend to be more focused on the results. So for example, let's say you have done something that has led to the death of someone or has caused some major damage, economic perhaps or social. If you are talking to someone who is, you know, hardcore Westerner and liberal, that person will want to know did you do this intentionally or was it by accident? Whereas the Easterner types say, I don't care why you did this. I don't care if you kill that person in uh, cold blood 
and through, you know, previous planning, or it was a mere act of self-defense. So if you take a look at this, think about, you know, just this very act, because I've worked in different countries. Think about, you know, a country like Saudi Arabia versus uh, Netherlands. So in Saudi Arabia, they don't really care why you killed someone. The punishment is always death. Even if that was done in terms of, you know, just simply defending yourself because somebody would just attack you and you wanted to defend yourself and you ended up killing that person. Whereas if you move to Netherlands, there's going to be a very long court hearing as well as a lot of investigations to realize whether you kill that person in cold blood, it was premeditated, or you did so as a means of protecting yourself. Why? Because in the Western world, intentions are more important and people are generally hurt more if they realize that the pain caused to them by you is done intentionally as opposed to unintentionally. And this is the foundation and formation of trust for strangers. Because if you are someone who is concerned about intentions, then you definitely need more trust. And to do so, you have to, of course, be more trusting yourself. Whereas the Eastern Thai people generally are not like that. Now, other than that, apart from the intentions, there's the general approach towards life. You see, the more liberal Western people, they tend to, I mean, originally, they had to actually come from more Protestant backgrounds. They were uh, mainly in Europe. And uh, because of this, this allowed them to have certain values that are dramatically different from more orthodox uh, Christian backgrounds, such as Catholicism or uh, perhaps uh, Orthodox Church. And this approach ultimately led to more openness, to more acceptance, and fewer punishments. Generally, Protestants were less strict religiously in the previous centuries. Now, of course, as we go uh, along the way, the power and that, you know, pull of religion will gradually become less and less uh, basically significant, especially in the Western world and the modern world, because the, that tie uh, and that pull will somehow be replaced by other social factors. And for that reason, now in the modern world, we see that when you move towards more Western-minded or, or liberal-minded societies, you see less strength in terms of the religious approach, whereas in more traditional societies, religion still plays a dominant role. There are currently nations around the world that are religious by nature, in, uh, that we call them uh, theocracies, so we still have them. But the fact of the matter is that religion here is also an important factor. So the more religious a back, uh, you know, a society, the more traditional and Eastern would be their background. Now, in this book, the author talks about how basically uh, these uh, s- somehow different societies tend to interact with one another. And more importantly, it talks about what are the uh, perhaps uh, impacts of, uh, let's say, a Western approach towards life versus an Eastern. Then again, you can take a look at that, and we have plenty of examples, not only in terms of nations, but even in your own country, you probably are living in a society that has two major political parties, and you can see their differences in terms of what they value and what they want to go for. But here's the truth. There is, in most cases, almost always a direct proportion to how westernized or weird a society is, and how developed that nation becomes and how happy and generally satisfied their citizens become. And quite the opposite, there is, again, if you look at this, all nations, because I this is one of my biggest passions, putting all nations together and then looking at their lifestyles, personally traveling there, learning their languages. I've been doing this, you know, since I was a kid and I really love this process. And when you look at this, you realize 
in the societies that have more uh, basically Eastern values, more traditional values, there's a lot of strength in terms of the community. So concepts such as patriotism, family over else, over all else, or, you know, the love of God and those things will be a lot more apparent than Western societies. And ironically, in such societies, what you tend to see more often when you go to Eastern type of society, you see the thing we call corruption a lot more. Now, we call it corruption in the West, but what we call corruption, the Easterners call simply you know, leadership or control because they, they, they come from that tribal background where the tribal leader made all the decisions. There was no democracy when we lived in tribes. There was one man, oftentimes the most dominant, sometimes the oldest, and that person would make all the decisions. And that was it. So you are either with us or against us. Does it remind you of some, you know, new politicians maybe lately who've got ousted out of politics? Well, that goes way back to uh, basically uh, tribal leadership. Whereas in the Western societies, we live in a complex, multicultural society. So using, you know, bullying and force and uh, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, sheer dominance is rarely an effective approach to influence or changing things. And that is because it's rooted in the Western culture. And ironically, in the modern world, the societies that are uh, led by more Eastern type values and their leaders ascribe to Eastern or uh, basically uh, traditional values, ironically, while they tend to amass more power, I mean, right now, just go on Google and uh, search, uh, basically, uh, the, uh, the most powerful nations on earth. And apart from the United States and a few other Western nations who have really made it politically and economically, there are many nations that are actually Eastern type. And ironically, their economies don't really uh, basically reflect the power of their leaders. If you right now search the most powerful people on earth, just Google this word if you had the time, the most powerful people on earth, you will hear the names of many dictators, many, you know, authoritarian type of people whose, you know, uh, citizens are actually suffering on a day-to-day basis, but they themselves amass a lot of power. So because of this, most Western type leaders rarely, if ever, it will be able to amass too much power because the very system of democracy has made it is made in a way that makes sure power is subject to you know a, a peaceful basically transference and for that reason these societies tend to actually do much better politically socially economically and in terms of general welfare for the most part so now that we're looking at this right now think of you know the origin of uh, basically uh, western and eastern societies think of europe as the origin of the Western society, and think of Asia as the origin of Eastern society, you see that ultimately what made a huge difference between uh, people, for example, from, let's say, China and India, and those from Netherlands and the United States, ultimately goes back to the way the societies were organized. And it goes back to a variety of things, including their approach to relationships, their approach to dating and marriage. It goes back to the way they like to uh, perhaps, you know, treat and uh, punish behaviors. And more importantly, it's about how these new institutions who create new psychologies for themselves will then uh, bring about more cooperation and more spirit of uh, basically working together. Now, ultimately, in this book, the author talks a lot. It's a very, very long book, actually. And many chapters talk a lot about how, for example, the marketplaces got changed in these two different societies. But ultimately, as you probably know, 
I tend to ascribe to a liberal point of view. And that is obviously no, <laughs> uh, basically a surprise because of my background. I mean, you simply cannot be involved with things like foreign languages and international business and uh, international entrepreneurship and moving around and traveling and not automatically develop, you know, your uh, Western values. It's just impossible. It, it, you cannot be closed-minded and keep doing that. If After a while, you start asking questions like, dude, what if all the things I know about, let's say, this society is wrong? And what if the other side is actually right? So these types of questions ultimately will allow you to understand which side is best for you. Now, I am not going to here try to promote either one approach, whether the Eastern approach or Western, because I think that they somehow, at some point, they both are going to exist. It's just the human nature. And uh, they say no matter how thin you slice it, there's always going to be two sides. So I am not going to ch- you know, choose a uh, basically approach here that will somehow force you to be, yeah, you must all become Westerners or whatever it is, because that's entirely you know your choice. However, what I can tell you is by reading this book, The Weirdest People in the World by Joseph Henrik, you probably can get a much you know deeper understanding of what differentiates the Easterners from the Westerners, and more importantly, why those of us who are thought to be more psychologically peculiar are actually more prosperous, because from my point of view, we should look at the future and to look uh, at that and then to create our North Star. And the fact of the matter is that the future that we are currently headed towards will be more and more Western, more and more liberal, more and more educated, more and more industrialized, obviously wealthier, and definitely more democratic. So this is the future of humanity, which is why if you want to perhaps create an approach and a thought and a mindset, you should probably look at the future trends and then decide to which side you should actually belong. But then again, in the end, it all comes down to your perspective. So that was a quick, you know, uh, basically uh, overview of what we read in The Weirdest People in the World by Joseph Henrik. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode as well. And hopefully this gave you a bit of understanding about what makes the, you know, the Westerners and the Easterners tick differently. All right. That's all the time we have for. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you have any questions, you can reach me on all platforms. I really mean almost all platforms. And just leave a comment. I'll be glad to answer to all of your questions. Until next episode, have a good one. (laughs) 